Welcome to the 3B3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. So, hockey. guess we're doing hockey, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely spaced where we left off. Oh, I, I have the question written down. It was kind of one of those not related at all to our last uh, episode. I just threw it out there. So, the question from the last episode was... What is the value in tracking hits, you know, just as a standalone statistic? None. As far as that's I'm kind of my conclusion. Yeah, that's my conclusion too. What about you, Pat? So I have to separate tracking and recording the number versus our preconceived notion of what a statistic is. And Sure enough, listening to 31 Thoughts this week, you know, Jeff Merrick once again off, drops a pearl wisdom where uh, they, I forget the context of the conversation, but he says, was the assist the first analytic put out there? It's just a piece of information. So when mm-hmm. I hear a hit total, it's just a piece of information. We... uh we, as in, you know, the hockey world, put, dating back to the mid-90s, put way too much emphasis on stat or on hits and the hit stats. And we know, because there are plenty of stories out there, that teams would falsify that number. Um, oh, gotcha. Shots on goal, hits. Yeah. Turnover. I mean, turnovers is another one that's wholly subjective, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's the... It's usually almost always a home, the home arena, home team's arena that are taking, you know, the statistics and they're going to be more favorable, just have a, a, a natural bias towards the home team because that's who they're used to watching. So, I mean, I don't know if there's really, and I, I know you guys aren't saying it's deliberate, probably, but. <laughs> oh, no, I am. Oh, you are? In certain circumstances, yes. Um, so. You know, because I was thinking about this question, I was talking to a um, coworker, and uh, and it kind of came to me because it, as a standalone thing to track, it doesn't mean anything, because it can mean so many things. Um, but if you combine it with, say, tracking turnovers or steals or however you want to takeaways, however you want to term that, then it has value. Because in, in in an ideal world, the reason that you're hitting somebody is to take them off the puck so the puck can be turned over. Right. So right. hopefully you would see a correlation between the takeaway numbers or at least opposing teams' giveaway numbers and the and the, the hit numbers. The hit right. Numbers, you know? Yeah. Because when, when I see the number, I'm hoping, you know, Okay, if I'm seeing a high hit number, I'm probably seeing a low possession number at the same time. Uh, at least if we're tracking hits, you know, solely in certain zones, which I know, at least publicly, no one's doing that. I'm sure there's plenty behind the scenes where I value an offensive zone hit way more than I would value a neutral zone or a defensive zone hit, only because I know... At, at least an offensive zone hit, I'm hoping someone is you're, you're kind of negating someone out of the play. You're causing a 
at least a brief change in possession where there may be a 50-50 puck or it's kind of a Hail Mary pass to a teammate, but you're you're kind of changing the odds for the rest of your teammates versus if all you're doing is hitting guys in the defensive zone and you're getting, you know, three hits in a shift, that just means you can't clear the puck. You can't skate it out. You can't chip it up the boards. Right. It's a frustration move. Right. <laughs> Go ahead, Patrick. Lay it on us. I, I, I feel a rant in there somewhere. <laughs> Oh, Minty rats are acceptable. I, I I just get tired of the 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 fallacy that a team that has more hits registered also is losing the the possession battle because the two are first of all hits aren't an accurate stat of anything and mm-hmm. they're always and and by nature they're going to be skewed towards the home team. We just know that. Because it's mm-hmm. the local home team stat counter constitutes what a hit is. There's no quote unquote industry standard for what is a hit. Right. But, or how to how to like track statistics in the first place. Uh, it, well, there's that too. But you add to that. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, a team can go out and be a little bit more physical and cause hits and still have more possession than another team. Well, here's the thing, too, is the and the reason that this came up in conversation at work is because I'm surrounded by Bruins fans. And, you know, so they they place more value on those those lovely terms such as grit and toughness. And a lot of people dredge up the hitting statistic as proof. And it's like, well, actually, it's kind of not really proof of anything. Um but you go ahead and, and believe that. So it's it's one of those things where where it's a statistic that is used to justify stupidity like grit and toughness, really. Well, it's it it's just another lies, damn lies and statistics, right? I right. can use I can use numbers to prove any case I want to prove. I can right. show I can show you numbers that show you that Carolina is bad defensively. They're hard to find, but they're there because no mm-hmm. team is perfect, but also the stats models that are out there aren't perfect. Well, I mean, the, you can just use the classic example in my mind is is baseball batting percent, you know, percentages, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like you can spin that and if you know, batting 300 in baseball is considered fantastic, but you can spin it as, well, you're only hitting the ball one, one third of the pitches, What's up with that? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, one in one, you hit one in three times you're at the play, you actually drive some offense out of it. Right. And so it just depends on which way you want to spin it, whether that's actually good statistic or bad statistic. And you could argue that, well, if you're a baseball person, quote unquote, um, then, you know, you would know better. But do you? We've just, sort, just... Of ex- we've just sort of accepted the, the premise in baseball that one out of three is good. Yeah. Or one out of three is great. You're regurgitating what somebody else has told you. Yeah. Well, it's just it's it's almost like it's been ingrained in the culture over time that the greatest hitters of all time have been right around this one in three. So that seems to be the benchmark for a great player. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're just... seeing this in hockey too, with save percentage, with shooting percentage. We we're just slowly accepting a number as this is kind of the threshold. Yeah. between good and bad and it yeah. shifts all the time too so like and, and we're slow to pick up on that shift i think 
as a well, community at least well we whatever numbers thrown out there as you know periodically unless you're a devoted goaltender fan and i know people who have who are Hello. but <laughs> for example um, but you know as a as a fan who who may not be so involved in goaltender statistics you kind of whatever number gets thrown out there every three years or so is the number that is great and you just kind of accept that without really thinking about what the previous number you heard was <laughs> i i think it lands like right around five to seven years because that tends to be when generational shifts come in yeah player player ages so players that have come up with with new training or you know the evolution seems to be like on that five to seven year cycle mm-hmm. um so, but yeah, I mean, totally. You just sort of say, okay, well, this seems to be the median. So everyone go with it. This is what constitutes a, a league average goalie. This is what constitutes a great goalie. And and the funny thing is, at least with baseball, it's effectively an irrefutable scale, right? If you're, what counts as a hit is clearly defined. Right. Whereas a save and when they're registered a shot versus what might not be a shot, that kind of stuff is still a little bit loose. So again, there's there's noise in the sample data. And eradicating that noise is never going to happen. All you can do is sort of build a model that, that mitigates that noise. Well, the NHL likes having things blurry too. They they have no real interest in having clear cut definitions of things because I don't know why. But obviously, obviously, because that's why they hired SAP to do all their stats. <laughs> but um, I mean, and you can tell that with with the uh, Department of Player Safety, right? I mean, when Shanahan came in, he was like calling it like we'd all caught want to call it all wanted it called and then after about a month you could tell someone pulled him inside and said no listen we can't have this you have to be a bit more lenient on what what the uh what the problems are and the suspensions and all of that you can't just do what you've been doing and he backed way off so i mean clearly in the nhl front offices at least if not board of governors level they don't want things to be clear because <laughs> if they did, they'd, they'd be telling everybody to do that. <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, I, I wonder if that's the case or if it's not just the case of, of um, him being too literal. And I mean, I know it's kind of, you know, it's like a fine line between, you know, clever and stupid, right? It's just a twist of phrase, but I I don't know. Shanny, I think, came in and laid the Shanna hammer down. And I don't know if it was so much that he got pushed back from the league or if it was a case that he was getting pushed back from the PA because uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, he, he kind of served two masters to a certain degree. But in, I mean, I don't know what the, for lack of a better term, chain of command would have been. But um, you know, he worked for the NHL and not for the PA. 
And so I think the PA's voice would have been a little bit, wouldn't have been so influential in that. I'm sure they had a say, don't get me wrong, but I don't, I don't know that he would have listened so attentively to them, even though, unless he's still a dues paying member. (laughs) Well, and see that, and I'm not saying he's, it's, it's a literal serving of two masters, but the reason that they liked especially after Brian Burke left the Department of Player Safety, they wanted to stick with players is because those players would have a better feel for the game when making those assessments and and doling out that kind of stuff. And I know when they had those hearings, I know for a fact in a couple of cases, there was post-hearing feedback from the PA to Shanahan saying, this is a little out of control. Um, You know, these are we need to ease into enforcement not just throw the hammer down type thing which i think is what he was doing to start is take a take a modicum of of not objectivity but sort of maybe a little bit of foot off the gas because handing out you know these suspensions for first time offenders or you know these sort of things that historically precedent wise weren't that bad we understand we need to evolve the game but let's not try and do it overnight because you know the nhl likes to do things at a snail's pace and it's not just the nhl it's also the pa neither one of them wants massive changes overnight right i mean nobody's going to come in with all of these groundbreaking new rules they if there's anything you know that that somebody wants put a pin in it and seven years, ten years later, the NHL will get around to doing it. But they'll they'll soften the ground. They'll do all their whole, you know, well, we're not talking about this, but we're going to try it at a development camp. And, you know, and then maybe they'll find a way to, to implement it in the AHL or in, e, in the ECHL or somewhere. And everything's at a, at a glacial place, pace with them. So I, I don't... I think might have been just he was coming in too fast with a lot of those, but that's all. Eh. Some of some of it's speculation, but some of it I know he did get feedback. I've heard from a couple of people he did get feedback from the NHLPA to say, "Please, please, can you take your foot off the gas a little bit? <laughs> you know, you're you're still one of us, kind of thing." Right. And whether he chose to do anything about it. Don't know, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a rough situation. Like if you look at lat, I guess the fall with uh, Tom Wilson and what you know, current department head George Paros tried to do. If there is not any stone cold, you know, written in stone precedent, you know. The PA is just going to be all over that. And I think they shoot themselves in the foot way more than anyone in the press, within, you know, teams and organizations, you know, they are not held accountable enough some days. Like George Peros tried to establish a new precedent for someone who committed, I guess, four egregious acts within... I guess what 20 30 you know consecutive games played although you know there was the time difference between you know last season and the preseason what have you but to Patrick's point yes everyone wants everything to move at a glacier's pace 
just because the status quo is working in certain people's favors. You know, mm-hmm. the established stars, the, you know, Department of Player Safety's current bosses somehow holding on to a job for God knows what reason in, in an ever-evolving league um, that's constantly being litigated and probably shooting themselves in the foot by sending emails. Um <laughs> So it, it's just kind of so to bring it back full circle. And then when you start talking about hitting stats, well, OK, the bean counter is nice. It gives me an idea because I'll go on my horse and say I still like that plus minus is tracked. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean anything. There's no there, there's no inference. What I can say is, all right, let me look at the leaders. All right. Circle the people up at the top of this list, and I know, okay, you're probably put in more very, very good positions. And then I can go look at the bottom of the list and say, all right, you're probably in very bad situations, whether it be line mates, whether it be deployment, whether it be your your team's just terrible. Yeah, it just gives me it just gives me a gauge where to look. It doesn't tell me you the individual are good or you the individual are bad, but because it's a written down statistic that's the immediate inference so it's it's one of those that actually tells you more by its extremities than it does by its its bulk yeah because there is clear definitions we know what a plus is and what a minus is there's Mm -hmm. there's black and white criteria unlike half the other stats well it's a it's a half formed stat is the problem agree yes you know it's it's it works for certain situations, but it doesn't work for the entire game. And for a lot of people, that's not spelled out or that's not good enough. And so, yeah, I mean, and that's that's a lot of the stats that are being tracked by the NHL publicly that are being released. Is a lot of these things are just half-formed. It's You have to, like, pair one thing with another thing to really get a good, like, answer out of it, you know? That is such a piping hot take. The ambulance is coming for you. Um, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Can you take me away? Please. No, no, not the white jacket with the long arms again. Um, <laughs> Padded room might be nice for a while. <laughs> you are living in Boston. Baston. Um, where the hell was I going to go? Oh, yeah. Hockey is a complex sport. And, and a single, you know, the single stats models that we have today aren't really going to tell you much of anything because they are not combined. There's no individual stat tracking, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's, there's nothing that literally says outside of time on ice. What is this guy's passing percentage? That's not tracked publicly. What is this guy's, you know, you can sort of say shots are there, but shots are a little bit of a byproduct of team passing. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, again, it's one of those going back to, um, NHLPA, (laughs) you know, they, it's one of those things where, you know, the PA doesn't want all that information available to teams because that's going to affect their bottom line. Um, you know, it's like, well, these numbers are going to affect contract negotiations. So we don't really want those numbers to be tracked. And, um, you know that and that and i can get that but the um, on the other hand it's like 
for everybody else. Yeah, it would be nice if I didn't have metrics to have to work against, too. <laughs> yeah. In my own job. <laughs> Trust me, I, I know that one, too. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's 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 a complicated thing because there's so many parties involved and then you have the fans who are, who are like literally the spectators at looking at this going, I don't get it. What are you doing? Uh-huh. And yeah, I, I, I think overall, largely the whole, I'm, I'm going to get philosophical here. I think overall, largely the whole stats battle isn't so much that they don't, understand the stats is they don't they think that they're losing their game to the stats they don't you know they're going to lose hockey to some bean counters you know they're yeah. just going to they're just going to build teams on statistics and to which I would respond to them it's been done that way for quite some time you just aren't you just haven't been aware of it right you know because Public analytics versus private analytics are two completely different animals. Coaches have been tracking certain things since probably Roger Nielsen and maybe mm-hmm. even earlier on, you know. So how the the models get advanced and we get more accurate, but the data is data has been being collected for ages. It's just not been publicly put out there by bloggers and i'm not using that as a derogatory term but the the mainstream media certainly was going to do a stats column so they left it up to the guys who were really good with math and interested in hockey who had access to the internet and could write a blog and they could start tracking their own little things and start providing models showing you why you know why certain players work well better together versus others and that's where it all sort of started down the road of the general public and the mainstream media to a certain degree going, ooh, boogeyman, boogeyman, they're going to take away our game. And I just sit there laughing because they've been tracking stats for ages, boys. Get over it. They're just not tracking the right stats. See, they, they need, they need the, the, the shits and the oh shits. <laughs> and, and the shits, the shits is a shorthanded in transition which is where you create a turnover that forces the defenseman, you know, you create a turnover at the blue line and forces that, that pinching defenseman to, to have to turn and hustle. What's the first word out of his mouth? Shit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> As he's chasing you. So that's a shorthanded in transition. And then the oh shits are the offensive holding the stick, interference and tripping. So that's, a, you know, that's what we call, what we used to call the Benoit Puglia because if there was anyone more notorious for taking a penalty while they were in the offensive zone, it was Benoit Puglia. And generally when he got blown for it, the first words out of his mouth were, oh shit. So those are the kind of stats that, funny as they are, can tell you a little bit, of, uh, can also you know, bring in some more data about the quality of a certain player. You know, how likely are you to be in possession of the puck in your offensive zone and end up going shorthanded? Do you want that kind of guy on your team? You know, especially if you're down a goal or it's a tie game or 
even if you're trying to defend a lead in any situation, do you want a guy who's going to cost you 200 feet away from your own net as, as the axiom or saying goes? It's interesting as, you know, I'm sure all these things are tracked privately by teams. Oh yeah. And now are we just starting to see kind of the revolving door of coaches go through its 20 or 30 year cycle where there are certain players that, you know, you're, Oh shit. Benoit Puglia, your Cal clutter bucks, let's say for, uh, looking, looking at the, uh, the CC stat, mm-hmm. a hit causing a turnover. Um, I like that one. Um, Coaches live and die by these certain ideals or principles or having guys that do these repetitive things that hurt their team. But are we finally starting to see them kind of phase out because, you know, Anaheim for different reasons still hasn't hired a coach. Um, (laughs) Certain coaches are getting hired, um, but we're seeing a lot of retreads slowly shift away or being forced to say go over to uh europe and kind of work differently for a while um mm-hmm. you know which i think this is a topic for another day but but seeing um you know dave tippett's name pop back up in the news as a potential hire in buffalo versus you know bob artley uh artley bob artley <laughs> Who, who, if you've read any of his stuff, he's actually a pretty brilliant guy and pretty progressive thinker who I think can evolve more than, you know, your Babcock coaching tree rehires in McClellan. I guess Bill Peters will be one of those in a few years whose name just he gets recycled or maybe he doesn't. Um, See, I think McClellan gets a bad rap. I do too. I, I don't actually I, think he's uh he, he is more than his past. Well, and his so, tutelage. So here's my here's my problem was what is his past? If if people are going by his time in Edmonton, will Christ line up a waft of really good coaches that have gone to Edmonton and not been able to do anything. You know, there's the coaching versus composition argument. And you know, they get stained with the the discoloration of, of that composition in Edmonton. Well, if he couldn't, you know, he can't be that great. He had the world's greatest player and couldn't do anything with it. Well, yeah, he wasn't the only one, you know, <laughs> there's, there, there's a, there's a line of people who couldn't do anything in Edmonton. He's Is not that, the only one. Yeah. I mean, if you can't get the most out of, out of McDavid, all right, great. But what about the rest of that team? Well, and he didn't, <laughs> he did get the most out of McDavid. Let's right. not let's not kid ourselves. I mean, the 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 kid without much help has racked up hundred point seasons consecutively. So I mean, it's not like he's not out there. So if you if you if you lop off the whole Edmonton thing, because he got he got tainted with being a bad coach in Edmonton because of it, and look what he did in San Jose. He was trying to do things in San Jose that he couldn't do because Doug Wilson kept anchoring them with certain players. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I, I, 
he's he's one that I'm really. This is, I think, one of those turning point jobs for him. I think we're. I think this is where we're going to see what kind of coach he is. Yeah, it's always interesting that GM versus coach discussion. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. you have some really good GMs with not so great coaches, and you have some really not great GMs with some really good coaches, and the coaches inevitably, no matter what, get blamed. Well, yeah, because it's a. It, I give you a trade, you still can't do anything. You're the next one to go. And then at the end of the season, I'll probably be let go. So, you know, it's that kind of model. I mean, it's like Bergevin, right? Boy, yeah. <laughs> is he an enigma in all of this? Because I I go back and forth on that guy so much. Everyone does, because literally one year he is a laughingstock, and the next year it's like, what the hell? He had a great offseason, and look what the team did. Yeah. I, I mean, man, he's he's almost like a, what is it, the, the San Francisco Giants for a long time. They'd make the playoffs one year and win the World Series, and they'd bomb out the next. And then they make the playoffs and win the World Series every other year type thing. And it's you know, almost like that's Bergevin. For a while there, he was he was notorious as when he was a player for playing practical jokes on people. Oh, yeah. And so for a while there, I was like, is he just doing some massive practical joke on the Montreal fan base? Is that what he's doing? Because it doesn't make sense otherwise. I mean, is he just really doing that? Oh, I, yeah. I, and that wouldn't surprise me if he really was. <laughs> I mean, he but, should be know. a Hall of Famer if he was, like, today. Oh. God, yeah. That would be, <laughs> that would be, like, the world's greatest troll job. Although, yeah, it would be the world's greatest troll job. Although Dougie Hamilton sure did a pretty good number in the handshake line against the Islanders. Oh, did you guys see that? Yeah, didn't. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest, I missed it in person. So, <laughs> oh my God, he is the hero we deserve. Oh, and and Dougie, I go to a museums Hamilton. Yes, and that uh, that whole shot of him patting Brock Nelson's head belongs in a museum. That that mm-hmm. is just that is pure modern art. And and I think the only thing that would have made it better is if it was Elias um, Lindholm, and and he sort of and he sort of fake skull clapped in front of him as they were walking down the handshake line. Uh, oh, the magnificence! I I I am Team Chaos. <laughs> I am I am total Team Chaos. And if you're gonna poke, you're gonna get poked. You know. Yeah. I, I am well on my way to uh, having my my uh, wild card conference finals. That's that's what I picked for my new bracket. All, all the wild cards are playing for the, for the conference finals. <laughs> it certainly. Oh man, I absolutely love this. This has just been the epitome. It's still of it. possible. Oh, I know. It's still possible too. I know. You know. And not only that, it's it's probable. Like there's there is a a clear case where it could happen. Oh yeah. Especially after uh, Dallas last night. Which one? The only one that's a little iffy to me is Colorado and San Jose. 
But I think I think Columbus is going to pull it out. Dallas is well on their way, and obviously Carolina has. So, so yeah. it's it's I, I'm kind of I'm not sure if Colorado's got it in them to win two more in this series, but we'll see. I mean, I, they have to force they have to force it to seven. I I don't think they can win the next two. Yeah. Tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be surprised by that. But. I would. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be at all. Um, I would not be at all. I. I uh, Colorado's got that puppy dog still in them. Yeah. You know, and and all they need is a little bit of a sniff, and I think they'll just start running. And the minute they start running, San Jose cannot keep up with them. Yeah, they they need to survive a first period and then put up. Let the McKinnon line put up a massive, yeah. you know, second period to kind of put them away. I think if you let San, San Jose kind of linger around long enough, they will come back to bite you. You know, yep. ignoring the the drama and the actual play of their Game Seven victory against the Golden Knights, but kind of looking at the first, I would say, three games of this series. San Jose just all right. They'll go down, but then they'll they'll claw right back. Yeah, and and there's that motivation is there. I mean, there's something driving San Jose this year, but Colorado's won on San Jose ice, so they don't have any of that stupid stigma of you know we can't win in their building type thing. Um, and I think it's just a matter of they it all you know it always boils down to secondary scoring. All they need is one of those other guys to get going. And the other thing that the Colorado has going for them, too, is that they're pretty much healthy. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, San Jose isn't. So, um, I mean, they don't have Pavelski tonight, game five. Um, Donskoy is back, I guess. but, um, But, yeah, so... So that's the other thing. They're young and they they're healthy. <laughs> if they can if they can start making San Jose skate, then yeah, like you said, they they have it. But um, right. but they're so, also young and they're not quite sure if they can do it. You know, it's that yeah. mental break. Well, it's it's that puppy dog. They they haven't been trained to know what their capabilities are to a certain degree. And I and I think the other thing is interesting that San Jose has done is they've really shielded Eric Carlson defensively from that McKinnon Rantanen or McKinnon Landeskog Rantanen line. Well, and I don't think, I don't think Carlson's healthy. Oh, he's not. Oh no. He's, he's not. He, I mean, even if he was, he still can't turn. He just cannot no. pivot. If forward skating, he's fine. You know, he's, he showed, he showed some pretty good bursts forward, but you, it's, it's been the book on him since he came back from that energy or that injury is you get him wide and turn him, and he, you're gone. Because there's a step missing. Right. So uh, I think they can. I, you know, I still, that's the one to me. I kind of agree with you. It's a little bit of a quarter toss, though. A little bit. I mean, I think they can too, but that's the only one that right now that I'm like, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know for sure. I'm pretty sure about Columbus, pretty sure about Dallas. Not so sure about Colorado right now, though. One thing we're all 100% sure of, them jerks. <laughs> What's becoming a reoccurring segment, apparently. 
You go to games, you're talking on the show. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's, uh, I know, at least in the second round, I've kind of been a little more oblivious to everything kind of happening in these other series because I'm only catching, you know, glimpses at this point because I'm, you know, after watching, you know, the local game, I'm kind of in a bit of euphoria and I'll, I have, you know, the, the West Coast game on in the background and I'm just staring at it, just thinking, what the heck just, ha- what did I just watch? You know, a team that I think Rod Brendamore was quoted post game last night where they didn't play a good game in this series, yet still just kind of put the put the foot on the gas at certain times and just hem the Islanders in and didn't give them any room and they found some timely secondary scoring yeah I I and that's that's exactly it you know that that goes back to that old saying that I've been preaching for years the top six gets you in the bottom six gets you wins yeah. you know and it's it's Gregor McKager and you know Furland and Fogel and I mean, although Furland and Fogel are probably more top middle six than bottom, but depending on where they are and who's yeah. injured. But yeah, those are the guys. It just takes them to pot one, one every couple of games. And that's the difference. Yeah. Last night there was a, I was sitting in a different location because I took my boys. Um, and I was, there reaches a point in each game where you can kind of feel the difference. When you, all right, you know, this team's going to win. And sure enough, it was that, that Greg McKegg goal. Mm -hmm. Oh, there was more. I would have expected Curtis McElhaney to score before Greg McKegg in this series. I'm being completely (laughs) honest. (laughs) So it's, uh, there's just a switch that flips and they, they're just riding on emotion. Hopefully they can, you know, heal some bumps and bruises and, and keep the, uh, keep the fun ride going whenever they play again. Yeah. It might be, it's going to be at least, I think at least seven days between games for them. And, and the, I love also the fact that it's possible and probably likely they'll end up with home ice in the Eastern conference finals. <laughs> Oh, there, there is a chance. Only, only they, only uh, Boston and San Jose would have home ice on them. They could have yeah. it throughout. As I, as yesterday, uh, prior to the game, I got my invoice for the remainder of the playoffs, and I had to start thinking about, oh my gosh, I might have to pay for eight tickets. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. No, it's such a hard life. <laughs> oh, I'm not complaining. I, I will gladly pay on this run. It's somebody. I guess it's why I save money throughout the year. Yeah, exactly. I, I yes. myself. <laughs> somebody threw a big old chaos grenade in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs before round one. <laughs> oh, and it's it's going to be so much fun when national press start traveling more and more. We saw. A, a small increase in that because I know at least Sportsnet was broadcasting, I think, most of these games in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
they had people on hands. Obviously, NBCSN kind of has all the broadcasts from this point forward. Um, but just we get to revisit some of the old non-traditional hockey takes, and it's just going to be fun to watch the back and forth. It's going to be a tennis match uh, between the locals and, and you know, all, all the quick jabs bringing up old things and and uh someone brought it back up but apparently don cherry has to travel to carolina because he yep. he goes on uh on site for the conference finals yep so that's yeah. gonna be fun I, I uh i told somebody and mentioned that on twitter last night and i said you know what they'll just feed him some barbecue and he will love them forever no oh are you kidding he'll be at one of our tailgates i guarantee it oh yeah I would not be surprised in the least, and he'll have a good old time. Mm-hmm. Uh, another flaming hot take. They're coming to arrest you. Um, <laughs> I have to hit that mute button faster. <laughs> <laughs> it actually works muting the sirens? Well, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I mean... I just consider it the the color of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll be sad to see them go when I move, huh? Yeah, well, a little bit. Yeah, I might just have to drop some in via some sound effects loops that I've got. Well, yeah, you've got plenty of background here. I could I could start recording that for you if you need yeah. to. Hey, you know what? Just leave your mic open one of these days, and, and <laughs> we'll just start a session. I'll just record it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And if I if I ever feel it necessary or it's missing from the podcast, I'll just dump it in there. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, I try. I try. Unlike the NHLPA, I try. <laughs> Do you like that segue? Oh my god, that was perfect. Was that was that Emily Kaplan esque type of a yes, segue? Yes, perfect. Oh my god, can we talk about those for a minute too? Yes. One episode. Oh, those are so good. Yeah, Emily Kaplan on ESPN's On the Ice and her segues are legendary to ad reads. Oh, my God. I love them. She is just spectacular. Oh, but, man, that NHLPA. The NFLPA did, like, 20 times better. <laughs> and they only And they only did it because one of their members is married to... A professional women's hockey player. <laughs> one person. That's one person. It. Just one. <laughs> and no one's expecting it. You know, they have nothing to gain and or lose. Yet it feels like they put, you know, a modicum of effort into at least having a copywriter craft something. Having somebody put out a statement of support that was showing actual support. Yeah. What the NHLPA put out, I could have taken a, a, a bag of Scrabble tiles and dumped it out on the floor and come up with a better and more supportive statement. But is I, it if you put a hundred monkeys in a in a room with typewriters, you'll eventually get a Shakespearean play or something? Yeah. <laughs> all the works yeah. of Shakespeare. But if you yeah. only put ten in there, you'll get an NHLPA press release. Yeah. Showing showing their acknowledgement that it's happening. This is going on, guys. Yeah, basically showing the acknowledgement that women play hockey. I mean, that's basically what that statement said. Women exist and some play hockey. You know, what's funny is <laughs> Just, that, yeah, pretty much, is it is that, so, you know, that came out today, of course. Two days later, 
after you know the women made their statement about not playing in North America on and... a Saturday morning, which it maybe that'll trash, become yeah. the news, the new news dump. Used to be the 5 p.m. Friday. Friday yeah. yeah, yeah, and so um, and I totally lost what I was going to say. <laughs> So did the NHLPA. Okay, like... <laughs> yeah, totally gone. <laughs> well, and it'll it, come back to me. And I, I'm sitting here kind of laughing, going, "I wonder if it was a game of chicken between the NHL and the NHLPA, who's going to release an, uh, a statement first. And the NHL is going, "Oh, thank God, God, we could literally just say we're really supportive of their decision to do this, and we would be a hero." <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, it, it, and in fairness, Bill Daly was on the record, like within an hour or two yeah but he towed his line because because oh, yeah. sometimes the lawyers have to act like lawyers for lawyery reasons well yeah because paid to do well and i i kind of can go, kind of go back to it again they can't be seen as the ones that destroyed the nwhl yeah and i don't disagree with that that's you know digging their heels in that position i really can't um but i don't see the player the women's players forcing the nhl's hands at this situation either um i don't think it's so much about forcing the nhl's hands as i think it is as as a lot of people have said i think they're forcing the nwhl's hand in this you know, because that the NWHL's be... not releasing their financial like right stuff, and that's actually the the issue is they want they want to know that they're going to be playing in a stable league because they just saw the CWHL collapse and like unexpectedly, and now they're looking around going, well, what happens to us? Mm. And so, and the NWHL isn't releasing any of their financial information to show that listen, we have we have investors and it's stable and you guys will be fine and so at this point actually the buffalo buttes who are owned by the owners of the buffalo sabers are saying they're not sure they're going to play this season this season yeah that was a surprising thing to just to hear because they are the only independently owned franchise Mm -hmm. is that correct yes the the other four are owned by the league centrally by the league yeah uh, to the best of my knowledge, that is still the case, including Minnesota. Where's Minnesota? Min- actually, Minnesota might be owned independently I, because they were owned independently before they joined the yeah. NWHL. You know, before I put my foot in my mouth, I better go yeah. look. They they were the one wild card in my head as I was, you know, stating that. I know Boston, uh, Connecticut, and. Uh, would have... <laughs> no, okay. So officially Metropolitan. Yeah. Um officially Minnesota is owned by the league. Oh, are they? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know what sort of organization or corporation that franchise was before they joined the league. So that might have, you know. Yeah, I think they were. Um, I think they were like a, a 
oh god how the hell do i they were independent and they were basically owned um they were like a non-profit or something yeah they were they were something along those lines they were they were an organization that had a manage um a management structure but they were like not for profit so yeah i don't yeah i i don't envy the nhl to a certain degree because you know if if they say anything that opens the floodgates to them forming a league then they're going to be the big bad guys who shut down the independently owned um you know female driven nwhl who is out there trying to make it on their own type thing but yet they don't want to support the nwhl because they're not running under the nhl model so it's like uh, i'm not yeah, at this uh, point they're going to sit back and wait for the women's players to basically you know sit out and leading to the destruction of the nwhl so then the nhl can form their own wnhl yeah i they kind of have to i mean the only other way they'd be able to do it is if the nwhl got onto a more nhl style model of franchisees and so forth and with the at least started putting in place some of the same infrastructure and then maybe there could be a merger or or some sort of uh cooperative um agreement along those lines but i don't, I don't think that's going to happen i think danny ryan's going to continue to claw and try and make it and i hey if if she can god love him you know mm. I, I don't i don't particularly care if the nhl runs it runs a women's league i just want them to have the ability to train get paid and be taken care of on par with what guys that play professionally get that's it and i think that's all they're trying to say too it's right. we, want, we want the insurance we want the the infrastructure and we want you know the 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 financials to at least allow us to be able to live as professional players i don't think they're asking for you know a cba that sets 10 million dollar salary caps or anything of the sorts but basically a system that you know they know where they're going to live if they're playing for a team, as yes. opposed to players living in one state, commuting for half the practices. I know uh, at least one local player down here, uh, Colleen Murphy, she would commute. She would have a job in in Raleigh. She would leave every either Thursday night, early Friday morning, be back sometime Monday. Yeah, I mean, they were all, week out. Yeah, they're, they're playing like NC2A. Right. I mean, you're in, you're, you're working, you're in classes Monday through Thursday, and then you cram as many games as in, at, in as you can between Friday and Sunday, because you have to be back at work by Monday. Yeah. And, and, you know, we could sit there and say there are, there are some parallels or similarities between the early days of the NHL and the, and where we're at with the NWHL now. And you wouldn't be incorrect, but the early days of the NHL were also in the 1900s when labor practices and, and wages and those kind of things weren't 
um, as fully fleshed out as they are today. You know, the expectations of, of what as human beings we have or need is vastly different than it was back then. Well, and there wasn't anything to model anything off of back then either, right? Right, right. You know, it's it. they were just making it up as they were going along. Well, the NHL's been around for long enough to iron out most of the kinks, even though they, can't, they have a talent for creating new ones. And so, you know, it's it. It's not like there isn't something to work off of at this point. And yeah. it isn't like they don't know they there isn't a fan base, because clearly there is. And it's not like they don't know that the players have um, have the training, the the you know the workouts and all of that figured out because clearly they do. So, you know, it's it's one of those people are just kind of twiddling their thumbs, waiting to see what happens, and no one's willing to like stick their neck out and say this is what's going to happen. You know? Yeah, yeah. it kind of is a game of chicken. I I think what I was trying to get at earlier is basically quality of life. You know, they where they're at today, you know, these the they're having to train while they're working full time to make ends meet. And, you know, what type of life do they have? There's actually a quote. I'm trying to find it because I retweeted it. Um, there was actually a quote from one of the, the players. Um, it was a Hockey News article saying basically that um, she put in, she basically paid more to play hockey than what she was making. Yeah. Just everything. Not not like being making what she's making in hockey, but also like regular jobs on yeah. top of that. Her, her, her nine to five job, yeah. Yeah, is that she paid more to play hockey than she earned. Yeah, and... I mean, I, I get that at, you know, there are certain levels of, of professional leagues where that's a little more acceptable and that's a little bit more common. Like there's lower tier hockey leagues running around where you like the Southeast have, professional hockey league. Yeah. Stuff like that where you almost <laughs> have Southern to professional hockey league where you almost have to pay to play to a certain degree, right? I mean, you, you're the one, you know, you have to pay league dues and league fees and, you know, almost that kind of group level playing, but to have that be the accepted standard for what is considered a professional women's league, I, especially in this day and age, I, I just, I think I'm a hundred percent. I mean, not that I wouldn't be a hundred percent behind him, but I'm just, solidifies my stance that you know they they need to do this you know and that also it also sort of solidifies my my notion that um the nwhl is running on a shoestring budget and they are not taking in enough to really adequately grow the league yeah they are at the mercy of one or two potential investors not yeah. Coming through on any promises. Yeah. I, I bet more than the average fan realizes. And more, much more so than the players know for certain because they don't. Because they're being kept out of the dark for sp very specific reasons. On, And I, I think that was the impotence before the 200 women decided to make their, you know, statement. I, I, I guess that was Thursday of this past week. 
before they went forward. It's really going to take, unfortunately, I, I've debated this in my head. I, I, I don't mind seeing the NHL getting involved in the league. However, I don't want those currently in charge of the, you know, the NHL itself running this new league. But one thing Gary Bettman and, and his, you know, underlings are good at is finding people with money that want to invest in teams. And I think that's the biggest holdup right now. I think individual team ownership and finding people willing to operate at basically a guaranteed loss for five to 10 years. That's, that's what's going to take to kind of get a single entity league over the hump at this point. So I wonder, as you were talking, Pat, I was thinking about this. So yeah, I had said earlier that probably the NHL is waiting for the NWHL to collapse before they swoop in with their own league. So I wonder if they actually approached the Buffalo Sabres owners on the sly and asked them what they were going to do and encouraged them to like maybe not play this season. Uh, well, it, I, go ahead, Pat. Sorry. It's certainly a possibility. I think it's kind of the... I think based on what I've read on Kim Pagula, who is the I she is one hundred percent the driving force behind the Buttes and mm-hmm. half and half their organizational efforts. She's a smart businesswoman and I can see her much in the same way I think the CWHL could have operated for the upcoming season. I think certain individuals, given the change in the, the commissioner and and you know all the talks of mergers in this past year i think people are making um proactive decisions to shut things down and i would not be surprised if that's the case with the buttes uh, you know they had a few players on their roster that they kind of recruited to come in put out the statement specifically thinking of shannon Savados, but I could see them taking a step back and then joining into the fray when a more uh, fully formed and fleshed out operation comes to light and they just immediately begin operations for the Buttes again. I I would not be surprised to see that in the least. I would not be surprised at all. I don't, to to your question cassie i don't know so much that it would have been the nhl that went to the bagulas is it might have been the bagulas saying to the nhl hey um you know given everything that's going on we're thinking about doing this because the only reason i say that is if there's any hint that the nhl went to them and asked them to do anything like that boy how do you know there would be lawyers crawling everywhere from the nwhl that's a good point Right. And, and I don't think, and to your, you know, to your point, Pat, um, Kim, especially Pagula is an unbelievably smart businesswoman. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if she saw the writing on the wall after the CWHL folded, started laying the groundwork. And then when the, the, the 200 hockey women trademark, um, came out with that statement, if she wasn't already ready to say, we're not playing next season. Either. And I mean, she might be in support of the players as well. I mean, yeah. you know, 
that that might be the driver for her rather than anything else is that you know we want we want to be successful as a business but we also want our employees to be in a know that they're in a stable work environment so yeah. you know it might have might have also been that as you know instead but and and here here is the machiavellian thought that just crossed into my brain and i and i'm sorry for doing this but given that they are the only independently owned NWHL franchise and it's well known that the Bagulas are stinking rich, I'm wondering if the the halt in operations isn't also going to hurt the NWHL financials. Because you don't know how much money they might be pouring into the league. That's very true. They may actually be like interested in, in backing up something the NHL does too. Right. Which is why I'm saying it might be a play to siphon off funds. And that's, I mean, that's very game of Thrones freaking, you know, house of cards, West wingian type subversion mentality. But there's, you know, it's a curious question for me because they have to be one of the biggest investors in the NWHL. Oh yeah. And if if they if they stop operations for a year, does that also stop the support they might be giving the NWHL financially? And since the NWHL, like you said, Cassie, will not release their financials, we don't know. We don't know where the majority of their money is coming from. If it's from the Vagulas, then they've just put a stranglehold on the league and kind of went pot in and said, okay, you're going to call our bluff. You're either going to fold or you've got money coming from somewhere else. Or maybe the Pagulas wanted to know what the financials were for the league and they wouldn't get that. Get, you know, that get was them. kind of my immediate question, Cassie. It was, uh, I, w- I would hope that they would have some, somehow they would have to as a business entity they would have to know those numbers. Yeah, I, I so, think so. I'm wondering if that is them knowing this will this will kind of be a chokehold on Ryland and and the main office for better or for worse. And it's all we can do is just sort of buckle up and go for a ride because you know it. It'll be a year before we see what the what the fallout is, and probably five years before somebody writes a book that gives you some insight and detail on what went went on behind the scenes. So, I, I yeah, I the speculation game is fun, but it's also like I could just throw a dart at the wall and come up with five words that sound right right now too. Oh. I just want them to have a league and I want, I want a TV. Actually, I, I don't want a TV deal for them. I want, if the NHL grabs hold of it and does run with a professional women's league, I want them to use that as a, a basis for, and we've touched on this subject before a little bit, how to change broadcasting of hockey instead of these sort of concrete television deals with one network and all of that kind of crap. How do they maximize revenue per fan regardless of where they are in the world and is that a comprehensive streaming package is that you know um some form of ticket package plus streaming package plus something you know something along those lines because i think it'll be a hard sell to get women's hockey on tv 
it would be an unbelievably easy sell to get a a women's hockey package set up on on all of your platforms and subscriptions for that i bet you would be would be a better indicator of the audience that's out there than tv ratings oh yeah yeah, I mean, I know I know a number of people who, you know, would love to have a streaming service for women's hockey. Or, I mean, the, the NWHL does have one. It's not that great from what I understand, which is, you know, probably an expected thing to say. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, there. I know a lot of people who are, like, really into wanting to you know, follow women's hockey because right now it's all very localized. You know, it's all very the Northeast and, and with the exception of Calgary and, and well, not anymore, I guess, um, Minnesota, but, um, you know, and, and there are people, I know people in California that would love to, are there a couple of people I work with who are like, Oh, if you're going to go to a women's game, let us know. We want to go with you, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's one of those things that people would love to have, not just for, you know, if they have daughters, um, yeah. so but just because they enjoy it. I mean, I, for me, if, if it was a partnered league, I would say, you know, up, up the subscription or, or have it an add on subscription to your NHL center ice package. Yeah. yeah. You know, for an extra 20 or 30 or 40 bucks, you'll get, the you know the the WNHL or whatever they're going to call it because they're not terribly creative it'll be WNHL yeah well <laughs> yeah I'm I'm sure it would be too but and I just I hope they don't step on their own toes and I would I would hope that they would create it as a as a separate league uh in in some aspects with its you know uh, allow them to use sort of the same model but we'd have like a cassie campbell as the commissioner you know mm -hmm. and jen botterell mm -hmm. or uh, Haley wickenheiser as you know vice president or something you know that kind of model yeah where they just piggyback off of say their bam tech deal for some yep. tech infrastructure use you know the marketing team in the manhattan office but yep. have a separate staff yeah have a separate you know board or, or what have you yeah and then and and then the teams themselves you know obviously it, we can go down this sort of hypothetical line but you know if say um first right of refusal for ownership went to the current nhl owners you could have somebody like uh, um, uh, a Dundon owning, you know, the the Carolina franchise, and then his sports empire, you know, sort of expands, and then you could also start leveraging the Hurricanes PR department and media teams, and you know, maybe maybe the radio guys start doing the women's games, that kind of stuff. So, so here's I have a question free then patrick would mm. you support the wnba model and have the women play in the summer or same same season 
because that makes it a little tricky if you get too far south <laughs> to play in the summer. Um, I don't think it does today because I think the vast majority of the buildings down there are new enough that the the ice condition issues wouldn't I mean wouldn't be that bad. It wouldn't be any worse than it would be for a a Tampa game. A Tampa Stanley Cup game, if they ever made it that far again. Um, oh God, was my was my mic unmuted? Sorry. Um, or or a Kings game, you know. And the Kings played in the Stanley Cup final and had no issues. Everyone said right. the ice was great, and I think that's just because the buildings, most of them are modernized or are are new enough that the temperature controls and how they're doing all of the ice. Um, manufacturing and and maintenance is probably a lot better than it was even 20 years ago it is and then i mean sadly i have to say this but you're not you're never going to fill these buildings at capacity especially in early years so even to play in the summer humidity is the biggest issue within buildings that you're going to see in every game from now till the stanley cups awarded in the nhl mm-hmm. just because these buildings are packed Every person that goes through the turnstiles, it's just bringing in more humidity in these markets, and that's what damages the ice. But if you, say, fill a lower bowl and leave the upper bowl, less people, less, you know, oxygen, CO2 exchange. Less radiant heat, less, yeah. Yeah, the ice surface temperature, you know, might do better. Well, and and that's kind of what I was wondering is if, you know, that allows these buildings i I, to to, it's a very circuitous way of cassie not answering your question because i don't know you know (laughs) i i I don't feel strongly one way or the other um i i think it'd be a very interesting to do it in the summer because i like what they did with the sounders in seattle is they put them in quest field which is i think eighty thousand capacity and there's no way that soccer was big enough when they first came back here that they were going to fill 80K. So they basically just tarped off the, the third and second levels and tarped off the back half of the first level, the 100s, and then sold those as available seats. And then as it grew, they just started taking tarps off. And they just started right. taking tarps off. Because they did, they weren't the ones... They weren't the team that was in that facility that had to drive the revenue for that facility. So it could be three quarters empty. It didn't matter. It was almost bonus money for Quest, for Quest Field. Now they're sitting at 35, 40,000 a game, you know, almost half with the Seahawks Bowl. So, you know, the, the people that are in charge and running that place are just, you know, loving life because it's year round. So going back to the question, I think it'd be very interesting in these cases where um, you could share the, the arena with the NHL franchise in the summer, how many, if you went and looked at sort of the schedule, like at the PNC or the TD Garden, what's their schedule look like in the summer if there's no hockey? There's no hockey, there's no basketball, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those are basketball and hockey arenas. Mm-hmm. So it would probably be largely concerts. And in most markets, concerts move to an outdoor venues right during those late summer months. I mean, it's, July exactly. is basically a, a dead time. In some places, you'd still be competing with the WNBA, where you'd have to switch out yeah. like, which is, floors I, and stuff. 
Which is no different than in the winter regular time season, they, yeah. Right when they're you know, like TD Garden, that's why I kind of brought it up. It's you know, it's a Celtics Bruins arena. Almost yeah. all of them are shared, you know, between uh, not all uh, the majority of them, I think, in the U.S. are shared between a basketball team and and there outside of like Pittsburgh and San Jose and um, a couple others. Uh, a couple others, yeah. So the the swap out, you know, whatever they do that already, right? Yeah. The the only hang up and it's something that can be worked around is an operational issue where these dead months in the summer, that's where, you know, a lot of these buildings we're talking about are coming up on their 20 to 30 year, you know, anniversary or, or, or date of opening and lots of money needs to be pumped back into them to, to maintain, uh, you know, a revenue stream. I know PNC Arena is in dire need of severe renovation so you're also butting up against all right here's your every facility needs an off season just to you know go through some some uh renovations you know renovations or just basic uh engineering tests to keep everything up so that can be worked around because i don't think we're looking at you know madison square garden renovations that happened like three consecutive summers you know a few dating a few years back so everything's feasible it can be done well and and to that point too i mean we're not i don't think we'd also be talking about a six-month season for for women's hockey to start so i mean there would still probably be at at least for the first few years or probably at least be like a month or two you know depending on how many teams came in and how they structured the league and how you know all of those sort of if if ifs but potentially i mean there's still downtime for those refresh resets maintenance windows too and i wonder if operationally at this point if you have another tenant to to tack on is it cheaper to then hire more full-time you know arena staff because i know half the time buildings are probably operating with a lot of part-time staff especially for changeover crews for in the situations where you're dealing with the WNBA team, is it easier to keep these people on full time than rehiring every season or finding different people? You know, it having another tenant could make those logistics a lot easier because you have some, someone there 12 months instead of whatever it is now for the, yeah. Yeah. Instead of the building being locked and closed for, two or three weeks where there's literally nothing going on in there except for security and somebody sort of wandering around, making sure that things aren't falling apart too bad. They're literally dark for extended periods of time. With renovations that we're seeing in different places, like, you know, the United center in Chicago, you can tack things on to the buildings to make them destinations beyond just events. Well, if you're adding a few more events, it makes more sense to to add certain amenities because mm-hmm. you're getting more foot traffic to go by anyway. So why not throw the restaurants and bars on one end of the arena that's accessible, you know, 365? I, I, hey, you're you're starting to sell me on on it being a summer's league. Yeah. Because it also makes it easier for me to pick and choose where to put my money entertainment wise. Right. And then here, here's another caveat with the women's league. 
in years where national team players aren't participating in games in the in you know the traditional seasons this may give them a chance to continue to play with their club teams and train with the national program. And that's what I would actually go with is the, that that would be my selling point with the summer league. It actually isn't that so much of the training, but a lot of the tournaments that go on during the regular season or during the regular NHL season, you know, women's championship, women's worlds and, and all of that, the Olympics are in the winter. So they could play, you know, friendlies leading up to the Olympics and, and that sort of thing. Um, and so they would actually have their international season basically, and they would have their professional season. Right. That would be my selling point on that. I mean, they're, I know we talked about kind of how they factor their media or their digital contact packages or however we want to phrase it. But there is plenty of airtime that needs to be filled, and I don't know it's the direction they should go in, but they could find a television contract should they go the summer route. I think it would be easier, um, but I also think that if they went with a digital, it becomes easier to write. It becomes a little bit easier to say, we're going to broadcast almost exclusively digital, but here's the caveat. Anyone who wants to jump in on this and and take our feed to your network okay we'll talk you know yeah. we'll, we'll talk about how to how do we get ad you know how do we get ad revenue from you for this instead of it being this almost exclusive partnership deal that locks them in like you know, like most of the leagues have now you know I, outside of the nfl um you have your you know you have your regional sports networks that pick up the vast majority of the regular season games for your regional team. And then the nationals pick up a game a week or two games a week. And then they pick up all the playoffs invert it to a certain degree where the teams effectively stream their content and, you know, as partnership with the league to a certain degree. And then the, the regionals can pick up or the national can pick up if they want to piggyback on the stream. Cause I, uh, um, the CWHL started doing that towards the end. Right. They almost like they provided the feed to the network. And if the network wanted to, you know, do their own overlays or whatever they could for their own branding, but it, but that was just sort of like, okay, you're paying, but you're not a full, you know, it's not an exclusive partnership. We're not looking for like the twelve billion dollar Rogers Sportsnet deal from you. You want to pick it up as part of this? Great. Here's your ad book. Here's your rates. Here's what you pay us, and you know, here's how you get your feed. And then that could also, you know, depending upon how a league is scheduled, because I've heard this argument about the NHL where they. <sighs> There's, they've kind of thrown in the towel and conceded, you know, time slots against NFL games in the, you know, early preseason and, and in October. But scheduling things to take advantage of broadcast times for European markets could just, you know, make or break the league. Like it, it could take it from a, 
we're just dragging on, we're week to week to we are we have a solidified not only revenue stream but talent stream where you're getting the you know Finnish Swedish national players coming over and then they can potentially return home and play in their traditional seasons for some of their programs okay so i i think this conversation has led me to what i think we'll we'll have our question of the week then um and we'll we'll end that there we'll end it there um would the rise of a women's professional league start uh, diminish the impact or necessity for the international competition being the crown jewel because because they now have a place to play professionally right like the, the olympics is kind of a fun thing for the men's but really the focus you know by and large when you're at a certain level is all about the stanley cup everyone wants to come at least play in the nhl and the the ancillary tournaments out around the world like the world championships and so forth are hardly even covered anymore whereas the inverse is true with the women because they don't have that premier professional league so if we provide a not if when when we have a a top tier women's professional league does the importance of that international competition start to diminish over time follow us on twitter at 3v3 podcast this has been the 3v3 podcast sponsored by nobody <laughs>